When you finally receive that first big paycheck, what do you do? Have you already spent it? If yes, you haven't committed a money sin just yet, but you could be on your way. Let's talk about lifestyle creep. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Reinerman, and welcome back. Speaking of money nerds, we have one of the ultimate money nerds on the show for you today. Really excited. This is a special show because it marks the episode number five zero. That's right. 50th episode. Can't believe we made it. And I'm so excited to see how far we've actually come. I mean, in a year, we've built a community of about a thousand physicians and physician spouses who all know the value of getting their financial lives in order. If you haven't joined us, please do financialresidency.com slash community. It's seriously so cool. And thank you so much to all of you for being amazing, loyal listeners of the show. You are the reason that this has been so successful. So cheers to another 50. To commemorate this milestone, I brought on a popular podcaster and a good friend, ultimate money nerd, Whitney Hansen, who's the host of the Money Nerds podcast. I'm sure you guys have all heard of her or checked out her podcast. If you haven't, you definitely need to. Like I said, she is the ultimate money nerd and following her is probably a smart thing to do. For this show, Whitney, besides her awesome money nerdiness, if you will, is super insightful on how to best manage your money. She and I discussed the physician lifestyle inflation or what we're calling lifestyle creep. For those of you that aren't really as familiar with what lifestyle creep is, this is the instance where a physician has come into a situation that they're now earning considerably more and thus their spending matches it and now they're spending a lot more. What it looks like, you know, for physicians is basically coming out of residency and having that jump in income, but also having the jump in expenses, your student loans and all of your other spending habits and some of that delayed gratification that you've so been wanting to and and improve your life. We're now going to talk about how to avoid this in our interview with Whitney. So enjoy the show. Let's jump on in. Whitney, so excited you're here on the show, my new BFF. Thank you again for being here. Ryan, I'm stoked as well. It's so good to hang out with you, I guess, more formally on the podcast. Yeah, formally, I guess you could say that. <laughs> for everyone that's probably like, wait, what? We're in a quick little mastermind group together that we meet weekly, and it is amazing to hang out with Whitney. And we were chatting, and I just think she's the perfect person to bring on and talk about what we're going to chat about today, which is lifestyle inflation. The big 50, the 50th episode, and we're going to crush it with lifestyle inflation. Congratulations on 50, by the way. That is such a huge accomplishment. Yay. That's fun. This has been such a good time. Like it's just a passion project hobby. You know, it's really kind of grown and it's so nice to have a a good community around that. I mean, we're at pretty much a thousand people in the Facebook group now. All physicians and their spouses. So if if you're listening and you haven't joined us, please do financialresidency.com slash community. So Whitney, let's jump right in and let's talk about lifestyle creep. So as they finish training residents, they're making, you know, 50, 60,000. 
and all of a sudden they're going to experience this large jump of income, right? They're going to go, let's call it 200 or 250. And obviously student debt's going to come along with that, right? They've been in some type of income-driven repayment, whether it's pay, repay, maybe even IBR, maybe, but they're in this and all of a sudden those payments they know are going to jump, but then everything else starts to jump with it. Hey, I'd, I've been driving this 20 year old car that barely works and I duct tape my seat together. Time for a new car. And, oh, we want a bigger house and all these things. So all these competing priorities that kind of jump into it. So let's just kind of jump right in and chat on the big lifestyle inflation. Yeah. Well, this is a topic I'm really passionate about because I see it all the time. And when we're talking about doctors that are making, no doubt about it, a great income, great, great money, it's easy to get caught up into that number. But what I like to think about it is proportionally, it's very similar to a college student graduating from college and then immediately getting their first big kid job where they're making maybe 60 grand and they were living on 15,000. So to them, they're like, heck yes, let's start to increase the lifestyle. And I get that. And so the, the whole concept of lifestyle creep is only when you start to increase your lifestyle to a point where your financial means cannot support it. It's unsustainable. You got a little bit too crazy and you put yourself in tremendous risk. And I think we both see this stuff all the time in our businesses and just talking with friends it's always our friends too. And you're like, no, you know better. Yeah. And then <laughs> I tell like, you this ah, all day. I know, I know, I know I'm a planner and I know you want to talk to me about it, but will you listen, please? Ready, please? Yeah. I know with my friends, when it comes to financial stuff, I always have to ask them, do you want my advice or do you just want me to listen? <laughs> so that's, that's a good usually, one. I usually ask, so do you want hard. my friend hat on or the real hat? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I like it. I think that's really good. So when it comes to lifestyle inflation, one of the things that I personally have to do if I get a raise or if I get some type of a business increase is immediately stop and ask myself, what is truly important to me? Why do I want this new thing? Is it because it makes me feel better? Is it a self-worth kind of item or is it something that I truly need? So if you've been sleeping on the same mattress for 25 years, sure, probably time to upgrade the mattress. I don't think anybody would argue with you there. But yeah, that's, if that's it's, disgusting, by the way. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's probably not healthy. You're going to have back problems. Probably. <laughs> no, you definitely will. So there's that concept of what's appropriate. And I think that's the the bigger question for people is I don't think we immediately go into a apartment where maybe it's two to three bedrooms and you're renting and then you get this huge increase and now all of a sudden you're buying this $600,000 house. It's usually not like that. It's very, very gradual. But I think that's the scary part is it is so gradual that we don't even notice it sometimes. And so I, I think that's the, the piece is to always remind yourself of what you're working towards and why that's important to you. And always ask yourself, why am I actually purchasing this? Is it for me or is it for others? And I think that's a really good first step. Yeah. Sometimes it's not so gradual, right? As, as you're leaving training and you're like, you maybe have been living in an apartment and you guys have three kids and you're like, well, you know, we need more space. More space can mean a lot of different things. Do you need each kid has a bedroom plus you have a den plus you have, you know, an extra guest bedroom and you bought a 6,000 square foot house? Or do you need more space? Meaning, hey, let's go get maybe a three bedroom, two bath, 1500 mm -hmm. square foot house in a mm -hmm. you know decent area. I think there's ways that you can look at both of these, but the lifestyle creep that we're kind of talking about is 
you would just jump right to that 6,000 square foot house, the doctor house, the dream house, the mansion, whatever it is. And, and that's not to pick on just houses. That's just one thing, right? The Tesla. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, I want to buy a Tesla. It's like, well, what part of the Tesla do you want? Are you a super car fanatic? I am not. So I'm probably going to butcher half of that. But you know, is it? do you want the Tesla because you think it's the most amazing car because of the way it's built and this? Or is it the status of it? Mm-hmm. And I, I fall prey to it too. Like I would love to drive and have one. I even made my wife go test drive one with me because I thought it was fun. But they didn't the have Tesla? Any, yeah, but they didn't have any to test drive. So it didn't work out that much fun. But What? Yeah. I, well, I wanted to like. Bad sales so office. I, I know. So I sat in the X. It was fun. But like I didn't obviously <laughs> bring it home. But I'd love to. I mean, if it was just given to me. But oh, economical. Well, I mean, sure. No, I'll just continue driving the truck that I have and kind of hang out because well, it's not that so important. You're hitting on a good point because we see lifestyle creep and lifestyle inflation mostly when it comes to people that come across a ton of money really quickly. Mm-hmm. So lottery winners or pro athletes that immediately get this huge contract and it's more money than they've ever seen in their life. That's when it becomes an issue. It's, it's almost a place of scarcity I've found. So you spend as much money as you possibly can because you don't believe in your heart that it's actually going to stick around longer. You have this like fleeting relationship with money. And so I find most people that are very impulsive spenders have a total scarcity mindset. It's not one of abundance. If you truly have an abundant mindset, you don't really believe that money is fleeting like that. You can prioritize, you can delay gratification. It's a little bit easier for you, but it's when you get to that, that unhealthy scarcity mindset that I think is when we start to just blow through money. Yeah. And sometimes it's a little hard to relate, right? You're using an example mm-hmm. of someone that's making mega millions now playing in the NFL or NBA or something. And uh, you know, that's a little hard to relate to, but then if you think, and most physicians don't think this way, but if you, if you think about it, it's like, well, I'm about to sign a contract for $250,000, a 20 year contract. Now we're talking mega millions, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't just come all in one lump sum like it does for them. But I mean, you are signing a multi million dollar contract if yep. you end up staying. One of the mistakes I see young physicians make is that they think that they're going to be in that area forever. So they're like, well, I got to get a new car, get a new house, whatever it might be. This job's going to be amazing. I know we're going to stay here forever. I think the average is like a few years and most people end up leaving the first job. So yeah, um, got to be careful on that. But Winnie, what if someone's kind of sitting there like, well, you know what? I, I've been delaying everything as long as I can. I went through med school. We weren't making that much money. Maybe we just got married and didn't even have an amazing wedding because we didn't have a lot of money. Now I've gone through training and, you know, we've managed to eke out with very little credit card debt, but now I'm mm-hmm. finally earning a real job. I want to go do the things I want to do. How do they kind of put boundaries on it? Yeah, it's a great question. It's such a personal decision too. I've seen so many different suggestions and different frameworks and different percentages for financial planning. So it really just depends on you and your lifestyle. But I think first and foremost is always start with that first question of why do I feel like I'm not living a certain style of life? Why do we feel like our current lifestyle is maybe not good enough? And so I'd say that would be my first challenge is figure out what's really going on there. And then from there, what's that area of your life that you truly feel like, no, I need more space. I need a different car. My car, I have to put oil in my engine every single week. It's burning oil. I need a new car. I need something more reliable. Totally fair. That's appropriate. So I'd say make your list of all the different wants or your upgrade list of all the things that you truly think would just be fun for your life. And then start to put a price tag next to all of those. 
What's that car going to cost? What's that new house going to cost? What does that mortgage payment feel like? So then when you do get that increase of income, you can do pretend budgets. You can get kind of nerdy and you can see how does this actually impact my overall quality of life? So just because you say yes to a new house, that means you're saying no to something else. And it's all opportunity cost. So I think that's the whole the whole goal is to recognize if I say yes to this big mortgage, it might make me look amazing. Yes, I can host Thanksgiving. It's going to be amazing. But maybe I can't put as much into my retirement accounts, which means I have to work an extra 20 years. So it's those kinds of choices that we make. And sometimes they're really small choices where we don't think it's that big of a deal, but it has huge implications in the future. And usually it is when it comes down to retirement, because the material stuff that we say yes to today directly takes away from that freedom we feel later. And so I'd say if you've been living like a college student, you've been living like a resident, good for you. That's amazing. Don't go crazy when you get that new income or you will be 10, 20 years later in a situation that you're not happy with. You might feel broke even though you're making great money. Yeah, you might be living paycheck to paycheck, even making a really mm-hmm. good salary. And that's yeah. usually because fixed expenses start climbing. You know, Maybe you put your kids in private school versus public because you bought in an area that was a good one but didn't have the best schools. And then yeah. you, know, you bought too much house in that area. And there's all sorts of things that can go on. So you said the B word, budgeting. And I try to use it as cash flow planning because I actually like looking forward, not backwards, right? Budgeting is today looking back, right? Like the accountant side and a forecaster or, you know, would look from today going forward. And I think there's a lot of emotion around when you start budgeting that ends up being negative emotions, right? You're like, 100%. I can't believe I spent that much in entertainment or, (laughs) or like diapers, yeah. When we look at our Amazon, I'm like, oh my gosh, how much are we spending? It's crazy. Uh, do they really need diapers, honey? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, they do. I'm not about <laughs> to do the cloth diaper one, and I can probably hear my wife screaming. If, oh God, no! That'd be we, the worst. We started that. Well, I have I have a comment on on budgeting in general. Yeah. So I think a lot of us we do feel like it is a dirty word, but it's only what you associate it with right? It's those feelings that come up when you think about budgeting and going back and looking at your history. I think that's a very appropriate thing to do for a lot of people. And then eventually you transition out of this place of beating yourself up and feeling guilty to a place of accepting and being okay with your expenses. I budget every single month and I check in with my budget every week. And when I see my eating out budget go up, I'm okay with that because I know that I can afford it. And so I think that's the the piece that I want everybody to, to get to in their own personal lives as well is it's great that you're making a, a lot of money or will be, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should go crazy in every single little area. And sometimes if it's cash flow planning, if it's budgeting, if it's Whatever the heck system you use, as long as you're checking in with yourself, I think that's kind of one of the big secrets to not getting too far ahead of your spending. Actually, you know, normal monthly preventative checks, if you will, makes complete sense. And I do something, but I do it, I'd I'd actually do it monthly. I don't do it weekly. Our weeks fluctuate way too much. There might be a week where we literally don't do anything fun and leave and just the kids and then we're home and then there's weekends where it's like we go crazy and we go to Legoland or the zoo or something fun. Yeah. Um, we look at, I look at it monthly. I shouldn't say we, cause Taylor doesn't really like looking at it or talking too much about it. When I get on my little tears of like, honey, we need to, we need to talk. I had um, El Martinez on talking about going on basically a, a money date and get, what do we call it? Getting financially frisky with your spouse. That was a fun one. Like <laughs> people should totally go back and listen to that because, and I'm still 
trying to work on this. And sometimes my wife goes, are we having a money date? I'm like, maybe. <laughs> She's like, I see what you're doing, Ryan. <laughs> maybe. But I like looking in monthly at, at uh-huh. cash flow planning. And I even go as far as when you pay yourself first, mm-hmm. right? And you were talking about like, if you don't actually fund your retirement, but if you pay yourself first and you know you're funding these things, your IRAs, your 401ks yeah. or 403bs, whatever it might be, even maybe a taxable account if you do have more income coming in than than you really need to be spending. But if you pay yourself first, then it really doesn't matter what is left over, like how you actually spend right. it. I mean, look, from a high level, like you know you, what your fixed expenses are, right? Your yep. utilities, your house and student debt payments, those kind of things. Like those are going to be pretty easy. Those are the, the expenses that if you don't leave your house, they're still going to happen, right? And then when Absolutely. you leave your house, and I'd, I'd maybe throw groceries inside there, but if you leave your house, anything that happens to be spent outside of the house then, or surfing the internet, I should say, then that's your variable expense, right? So if you if you know like, oh, I can spend $6,000 in total between housing, cars, student debt, whatever, this is what my credit card bills supposed to look like. Obviously mm-hmm. don't put your house on credit card, but if yeah. you can get to that level and know like this is what we spend and this is it's in this band, then you don't yep. actually have to budget. No, you really don't. You really You're don't. right. Like if yep. you truly take control over it now and just yep. understand where it is and get those bumpers, sounds weird, but like put bumpers on yourself and go, okay, if my credit card bill is $3,000 or less, like I'm good. doesn't matter Absolutely. if you spent 2,500 of that eating out. Nope. I fully, fully agree. I think you, you are spot on. I think there's that transition period where budgets can be helpful to get you to that point where you are just mentally paying attention. I don't have to track how much money I've spent on eating out anymore. I don't have to like monitor all of my coffee budget because I, I'm a creature of habit. We all are. I know exactly what I'm spending per you month. A, you have a coffee budget? I do have a coffee budget. I this do. This is why we're friends. I just think that's I know. so awesome. You don't? No, I just, I, I mean, you're clearly a money nerd, right? The podcast, I mean, I Winnie's got to, this amazing right? podcast called The Money Nerds, which I'm actually like a huge fan of. And we are totally money nerds, which is why we get along. And you have a coffee <laughs> so budget. True. You have a coffee budget. I do. I love you better it so believe much. it, man. I do. So, okay. So side note, this is just funny. When I was in college in undergrad, I was going to Starbucks pretty much every single day and not really even paying attention to it. At that point, I I had some goggles on and I was not looking around at my financial life. I was just going through the motions and I was spending so much money on coffee. When I looked at it, now, when I say a lot of money, it's going to sound like that's not that much money. It was about $120 per month, but I was a college student. That I was only making like 30 grand. Of, you know, yeah, right. So yeah. it is so much. But had I not actually sat down and done the budget to college budget to grown up Whitney owning a business budget, I never would have known. So it was still kind of fun because that's one of the things that I found is when it comes to that lifestyle creep, you can still enjoy all of the luxuries of life. I still go out to Starbucks. I still buy coffee, but I get a small plain coffee and sit down and do my work at Starbucks instead of getting the $6 caramel macchiato, whatever it is. So I think it's like, you can still enjoy all of those luxuries, but it doesn't have to come with a price tag that's sabotaging your other financial goals. It doesn't have to make you wait longer to pay off debt. I'm a big proponent of getting rid of debt as soon as you possibly can, because I believe it takes away your freedom and so what I found in my own life is I can still say yes to a lot of amazing things. I travel all the time, but I also drive a really old car. I live in the same house. I'm not planning on upgrading my house in the near future. 
So all of those things come into play so I can spend on what's really important to me, which is my sense of adventure. And I think we kind of all get to that point eventually, hopefully some sooner than others. But that's the decision that we have to make between lifestyle creep. And when you don't realize that it's trade-offs and you think you can just spend on everything, you get yourself into a lot of trouble really quickly. Yeah. How does it go? You can have anything but not everything. From yeah. It's, so it's totally, true. It's, it's completely true. And, you know, I, lo- I look at your scenario that you said, like, I drive an older car, I have a mm-hmm. house that I'm not upgrading, right? But then you have a coffee budget, you travel, you do these fun things, because that's important. That's your why. And mm-hmm. I've talked about it many, many times on the podcast about living your ideal life. And what does that look like? And actually sitting down and thinking, like, what do I want to, like, actually, one, do in life? But two, yeah. how do I want to actually spend the money? No one's sitting there going like, oh, you know, I want to save a bunch of money and then die with it. Right. Right. They've got stuff to do. I want to retire early. I want to write a book. I want to, whatever it might be. So your why was different than maybe someone else who might be a super big car person uh, Mm -hmm. or, you know, they have a huge family and they really do want a bigger house. That's okay. You can have a bigger Mm -hmm. house, but something else is going to be less. Yeah. So when you were talking about, you know, writing out a list of all your upgrades, the thought that went in my mind was I would write out a list of all the upgrades. Say it's like, I want to upgrade my car. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can upgrade my car and I can get a used XY. I'm terrible with cars. XYZ car. And it's, it's a Tesla. $12,000. Yeah. And then the flip side, or I could get this super badass Tesla and it's yep. 60,000. Okay. And then go down the next list. Like our house could be the three bed, two bath, this, or it could be our mega mansion. Yep. And just kind of go down the thing. And like, as you're picking priorities and ranking things, Mm -hmm. it'll kind of help flush out ideas. Like, and maybe I'm using some dramatic uh, differences between like a $12,000 and $60,000 car, but I I still think it it holds true. Like writing down what's important and ranking it and putting some numbers attached to it, like can really help curb that inflation, that lifestyle creep, if you will. All the time. Agreed. And I'd I'd say the other thing too, that we probably both see a lot with lifestyle creep is this whole concept of caring way too much about what other people think of us. It is ridiculous how much we care about other people's opinions. And it's usually people that we don't even know. That's the part that's so ridiculous. It's who cares what you drive to work in. If it gets you from point A to point B, that does the job. There's a bare minimum there. If you choose to upgrade because you enjoy cars, awesome. But if you choose to upgrade because you feel obligated because now you are a doctor and doctors look a certain way, that's the problem. And so I'd say really be careful about why you choose to upgrade and why that is important to you and what it is that's driving that. If it's other people, that's the wrong intention, 100%. But it's hard to be honest with yourself and say that's truly why because we are emotional. We buy things 100% out of emotion. Same thing with the house. So real story, when uh, my fiance and I were both out of college, we were both making great money and we were looking into buying a, a bigger home because that's just the next step in life. We, I truly dream. thought this on a home American and dream. buy a bigger home and then a <sighs> bigger home. Yeah. And just fill it with stuff and have all the rooms that I'm never going to use, which if that's your dream, more speed, you know, that's great. But for me, that was, it was a reflection point in my life where I had to really face myself and say, okay, if we buy a mortgage, that's going to be more expensive, say $3,000 a month. What does that do to our overall quality of life? Does that mean I can't travel? And in this case, that's kind of what it meant. I could only do maybe one vacation a year. I know first world problems, but that's one of my big priorities is to go on lots of trips. So 
we strategically chose to stay in my house that I bought when I was 19 years old in order to let me travel more. And it's the same thing with the car. But that was one of those moments where I had to stop and I had to look myself in the mirror and say, why the heck do I care about this bigger house? Like what, what's really driving me there? And when I got honest, it was strictly because I cared about what other people thought. It was a status symbol. Did you buy a house at 19 years old? I did. I I did. Market 08 crashed and I bought my house. I don't know if I should be impressed or terrified that you bought a house. Probably both. I think I am both. (laughs) Knowing you, I think I'm both actually. Yeah. Yeah. So that's for another day too, for sure. But I was working as an LTech all through undergrad. That was my job to get me through accounting school. And as I was doing that, I actually made pretty good money. I was essentially a freelancer and independent contractor and it worked out really well. But the market crashed 08 and I was so glad that I actually had cash to put into a home so that I could purchase because there's no way if I didn't care and keep my lifestyle pretty simple, there's no way I would have had the money. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I actually am more impressed than terrified. But You should maybe just be terrified. 19-year-olds should not 19, be getting mortgages. That's like me at 13 trading stock. I like worked during the, the summers and then begged my mom to open up a TD Ameritrade account for me. What? Yeah, at 13, I was an idiot and buying all sorts of horrible stuff. That's amazing but it's though. Fun. No, yeah, but I mean, you learned. Totally. I mean, we're talking like very little money, right? But you totally learn how markets move, how markets work. You know, it was it was fascinating stuff and... Yeah. So I then maybe that was a little earlier than you, but then I'm thinking me at 19 college, like, oh, I sh- <laughs> yeah. Good thing I didn't buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not for everybody. Most college students, I would caution them against that. But thankfully I was a pretty mature, I'm kind of an old soul. So it worked out really well in my favor. And then I was able to rent out a couple of my rooms to my friends. So my mortgage payment was somewhere like $400 a month. I love it. House hacking. It was House hacking House at hacking. 19. Before I even knew it was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Back in the day. Exactly. But we're still in the same house. And we just put together a plan where Tony and I are both 30. And in four years, and this is being fairly aggressive, not overly though, the entire house will be paid off. Yes. That's amazing. Because we chose to keep our lifestyle very simple. Mm -hmm. Had we chose to get the nicer house... I wouldn't be traveling. We still wouldn't have the, so it's just trade-offs. And at the end of the day, that's up to you to decide what's important to you. But for me, that's what I chose. Yeah. So listening, you know, I really would like all of you to hear kind of Whitney's story and some of the stuff we've said and and to realize that there's trade-offs. There's things that you would really like and there's things that you need and there's things, you know, obviously you'd wish could happen. Mm -hmm. But writing these things down, putting some, you know, pen to paper, putting some numbers behind it. And you need a new car, but the car is not that important. I know we pick on cars, which is funny because I know literally nothing about them. But do you need the 60000 or can you take the 20000 And if you could take the 20000 you still get a new car, saved right. a bunch of cash. And now with all that savings that you would have just wasted in a car that you wouldn't have really cared about, maybe now you can travel. Or for me, it's electronics. I like electronic stuff. I like newest yeah. phones. That's just kind of my thing, like. I love technology. I don't truly understand how it all works, but I love using it. And it's amazing. It's fair. It makes life a lot easier too. It does. It makes it a lot easier. So my vice is is tech. What's your what's your vice? Besides travel, home projects. I do a lot of little quirky projects here and there, building fireplaces and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I watched your videos on uh, on YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> it was so fun. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. You guys oh, should I check out it. Whitney on, on YouTube. What, what's your channel, Whitney? 
It's youtube.com slash the Whitney Hansen. The Whitney. Oof. Not the other one. It's the Whitney. Another Hansen. Whitney. Yeah. You know when you pick those names too, just to see if it's available and it actually is, and then you're stuck with that? That was kind of my situation with my YouTube channel. I'm like, well, I guess I have to own it now. <laughs> this is it. It's game time. This is it. I Commitment. Love it. Well, one thing you did mention, Winnie, that I just want to quickly touch on is the concept of like keeping up with other people and worrying about what other people think. And I think Mm -hmm. that has a lot to do with these kind of crazy stories on that we hear with lifestyle inflation, lifestyle creep, especially the ones right after training. Do you pull up and, you, you know, you have a lesser inferior car than maybe some of the attendings that are driving around in these amazing cars and everything just sits in the parking lot and looks awesome, except for maybe yours. So then you might feel some pressure. Do you have any like advice for those maybe listening and maybe it's not on the car, but just that mm-hmm. might be more susceptible to keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing? I'd say put your, your perceptions of what wealth is into what it truly is. It's financial security. It's money in the bank. It's having a net worth. That's what is actually wealthy having great stuff that is showy on the outside, it can be fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all aspire to some of that lifestyle for sure. But I'd I'd say get more excited about seeing your savings account grow. When you see your retirement account double, that is such a cool feeling versus I'm driving this janky car to work, or I don't have the biggest wedding ring and that bothers me. So there's so many, whatever your vice is, But for me, when I really broke through from lifestyle creep and I just stopped caring what other people thought, it's when I started seeing how many people have this very showy lifestyle. And sometimes it's a very average lifestyle that costs a lot and how broke they truly are. So they might have a nicer car than me. They might have a nicer house. They might have uh, more luxurious vacations, but mine are paid for and Mm -hmm. theirs aren't. And so for me, it was starting to see how many people were mismanaging money And then starting to see how exciting it was to see your financial accounts grow, your overall portfolio. When it grows, of course, I'm a money nerd, but it's the most exciting thing. And so I think just really get excited about that. Try to gamify it for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you have a hard time of getting excited about that, there's lots of apps. Um, I personally use Capital as a savings tool. So it just, there's the 52 week savings challenge. So it'll pull $1 week one, $2 week two. And by the end of the year, by the end of 52 weeks, you have almost $1,400. So for me, it's really kind of a fun way to just gamify my finances. So I'll look at it and see that money, that account grow. And it makes me really excited. And so it's those little tiny things that you have to find for yourself of what's going to keep you motivated and start to change your mind around financial security being a bigger priority than spending money. And I think once you get to that point, you don't care what other people think anymore. You really don't. Yeah. And it doesn't just extend into finances, but you know, really from a financial standpoint, you're going to put yourself at a major disadvantage if you're really worried about what other people think. And it's a hard thing to get over. And Whitney and I are sitting here talking about it, but that doesn't mean that we didn't struggle through that or go Mm -hmm. through that as well. Like maybe not so much financially on my side that I was like, oh man, look at that. Oh, I guess sometimes the cars look cool or trucks look cool. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I could do that. But I worried about what people would think actually about this podcast. It took me mm-hmm. a good 18 months to what? actually pull, yeah, to actually pull the trigger to like record and to talk and interview. I mean, we talk to people all the time, but to wow. actually put it out there, I was a little worried about like, well, people are going to listen. Am I just doing this for fun? Like, totally so fun. Like, how's this going to work? And, you know, it took me a long time and I'm somewhat introverted 
So, you know, it took me a while to actually do that because I actually thought, what are people going to think of it? Yeah. And it's one thing when we're saying it and another when you live it. But I just yeah. know from a financial standpoint, the math behind it, the behavior behind it, if you really put what other people think ahead of what you truly want, you have a long, long, hard road ahead of you. Yeah. It's not going to be a fun life at all. I think once you can take back that control and make decisions based on what's best for you, even if that means living a lesser lifestyle than your income says you can afford, that's okay. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is when recessions happen and when stuff like that, the economy crashes, that's when it really gets real. And I think everybody gets exposed in a really not so great way. And it's really harsh and it's tough. And if you have kids, your kids can be embarrassed. Like there, There's a lot of really scary stuff that can happen mm-hmm. if you aren't careful of this lifestyle creep and the lifestyle inflation. It really is a big deal. And I know we're making it kind of lighthearted and having fun with it, but it truly is a big deal. And it impacts a lot of people's lives if you don't watch out for it. Yeah. So good news is you get to hear all about this next week when I talk with Sarah Falah, the author of The Next Millionaire Next Door. We go all about that and a little bit more in that show. Winnie, to wrap up our show here, I always like to ask our guests one really cool question that I think that you could provide some insight on. And so this question comes out of our community, the Facebook group that we had mentioned. You can go there at financialresidency.com slash community and join us. This question said, looking for advice, I found the home of my dreams and can afford the mortgage at asking price by putting three to 5% down via a physician loan. Once I start my chief resident position in June, the house will quotes, most likely stay on the market until then. But given that it's already a gamble to wait, I want to be able to close quickly once my contract begins. I've only recently taken care of my credit card and non-student loan debt, so I essentially have nothing in savings, though I will have some free capital coming in monthly now. Ooh, all right. So this is such a great question because you're touching on a couple really key things. The first thing is the deal of a lifetime always comes around a few times. I've noticed that in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. It could be the dream house until you find another house that then becomes the new dream house. So that bar tends to move very, very quickly, much quicker than we would like to admit. And then the second piece too is no emergency savings. Did I hear that right? Yeah. It said uh, that I essentially have nothing in savings because they just went and they aggressively paid down credit card and student loan debt, which is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. need to build up that emergency fund now. Gosh, yeah. I'd say at least three months of living expenses with the new mortgage price, if that's the home you're hoping to go for, boost that up. Three to 5% down on a house can also limit you in some ways too. So depending on the type of loan, I'm not familiar with that loan specifically, but I do know a lot of times if you don't have 20% down, they tack on private mortgage insurance or mortgage insurance in general. And sometimes that insurance piece can be a few hundred dollars a month and it stays on there for the life of the loan. So just make sure that that's not the type of loan that you have. You're not signing up for an extra $300 yeah, because you didn't come in with 20%. Yeah. Physician loans, um, they have unique products available to them because bankers realize that physicians are pretty much dead immune and they have, you know, high incomes and mm-hmm. they understand that, um, you know, they're used to dealing with debt and paying debt on time. So they Mm -hmm. decided to give them loans from anywhere from zero to up to 20% down with no PMI. Oh, wow. 
they actually give them 0% down up to like 750,000 in debt. Dang, that's um, so cool. Yeah. Wow. Except yeah, be for, careful, but that's you awesome. You got to be really careful, right? So Yeah. My definitely get is, that emergency fund. Yeah, I definitely think emergency fund. I also think even though you can afford the mortgage, I would look at it as how much of your fixed expenses are going to eat up your income. And yep. general rule of thumb is 50% of your income, your take-home pay, I should say, should be fixed expenses or lower. Then yep. if we look at like variable expenses, 25% or less, and you should be saving 25% or more of your take-home pay. That is really tough to do as a resident. So mm -hmm. I would be cautioning, waving that yellow flag around. This isn't a red flag. This is a yellow flag going, be careful. You know, we don't know all the details, but definitely have some savings built up. Yeah. You don't want to put your whole life at risk because you didn't have enough in your savings account for emergencies. I mean, job loss happens, stuff happens, medical emergencies happen. We all know this. And it usually happens when you least expect it. So just get that emergency fund first. And if you have that taken care of, and this truly is your the house of your dreams, go for it. It sounds like you're in a good position aside from the emergency fund to make that risk yeah. or that leap. The other piece would be is, you know, where, where are you going to you know work as an attending? Is it there? Is your Fair. whole family there? Is that where you're going to be kept the, the whole time for your career? Yeah. Lots of, lots of questions, but from a financial standpoint, just really have that savings built up before you start making those kind of decisions. And seriously, congrats on paying off the credit card and the debt. That's amazing. I know. That, that was the happy part of this uh, question. All right. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for being on. Where can everyone hear your amazing podcast for like the seven people who haven't heard it that listen to my show? Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. It was an honor to hang out with you. The best place to come find me is on iTunes or any of your podcast players. It's The Money Nerds. And if you search for that, you'll find me in a red shirt with that says Money Nerd. It's pretty easy to find. <laughs> What's with you and the thes? The Money Nerd, the Winnie Hansen. I can't remember why I did. I don't know. It, it's appearing that way. Didn't you ever but watch? What was that movie with the Facebook guys? Uh, and then he, he said, drop the, the Facebook. The. I know. Does, it's not the well, I would have liked to on the YouTube channel, but you know. You didn't learn anything? Come on. <laughs> I know, right? I didn't watch that movie that time, Ryan. Come on. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. It's always amazing to talk to you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Now, as a physician with some bucks to spend, you fulfill this inner urge with the urge to splurge, if you will. And that's cool, but lifestyle creep, it's real, it happens. And like Whitney and I discussed in the show, the concept means you get a little too crazy with building an unsustainable lifestyle. It sounds fun to spend money, and honestly, sometimes it is. And it feels good to surround yourself with luxuries that you once really couldn't afford. I've been there, I know what you're, you're feeling, and the problem is, is that you put yourself at a tremendous risk when you just buy, buy, buy and not talking like the Backstreet Boys. And yes, I just actually went there. When it comes to lifestyle inflation, one of the things that Winnie does is that she stops and asks herself, what is truly important to her? Why does she really need that purchase? And I think that's fascinating and, and excellent advice. We talked about mistakes that we see young physicians make when purchasing their first home. And one of those is to think that they're actually going to live in one place for a really long time, which the probability of that is just really low. One example among many mistakes that I've seen is when they want to change their lifestyle to perceived to a better one. And because of this, 
we suggest, you know, putting boundaries around that lifestyle with first asking the question of why do you feel like you're not living a certain style of life? What do you feel like your current lifestyle could improve upon and why isn't it good enough? Then asking what is the area of life you feel like you need to spend money on? This is actually totally fair. And it will take some time to really put down this list and to to cultivate it and actually put numbers to them. How much will they cost you? When do you want that? And we call this actually like pretend budgeting or forecasting to see when and how you will actually pay for these new things and really what the ultimate impact is over your financial position. The whole goal of saying yes to certain items and no to others. I look at it as giving a dollar Uh, you know, you sign it one job. What is that job? And its job ultimately is to provide you happiness. We mentioned the material stuff that we say yes to today and how it directly takes away from the freedom we experience later. And that's a really powerful thing that I I really want you to understand. So I'm going to say it one last time. We mentioned the material stuff that we say yes to today and how it directly takes away from the freedom we experience later. As far as budgets are concerned, I like to look at it as cash flow planning, looking forward rather than backwards. Budgets are a transitory place from feeling constrained to a feeling of acceptance and being okay with your expenses. Budgets are one of those secrets that allows you to not get too far ahead of your spending, actually, you know, by doing a normal monthly check and to actually establish a check-in system with your spending. It's, it's healthy to do before you actually start looking forward, which is in that cash flow planning. I mentioned in the podcast, El Martinez episode with me earlier, where we actually coined this phrase, being financially frisky with your spouse. And if you haven't heard it, please go check it out. It's an excellent show, but it's, it's around money dates and having those money dates with your spouse are crazy important so that you're both on the same page and ultimately keep you both in check with what you actually want to spend. We talked a lot on the show about knowing why, knowing your why and how you want to live out your ideal life. And I actually talk about this on a lot of shows because ultimately it is so important. Do you know what you want to do with your money? And if you've got this down along with some of the other ideas that Whitney and I chat about here, you're really going to help curb that lifestyle creep and you'll be well on your way to financial success. This podcast is like a marriage. You get out of it what you put in. So if you show up and you put in the time to learn about these financial topics most affecting you, you're more than likely to grow in your financial savviness. But here's the thing. What you hear in the show is to be taken generically. It's a blanket adaptation of very different financial topics affecting physician families. I can't guarantee any specific advice because honestly, I don't know that much about you or anything on what your financial challenges that you may or may not be facing. I recommend consulting an attorney, a CPA, or me, a fee-only financial planner to help you with those questions. Well, that's it for episode 50. Next week, we chat with Sarah Falah, author of The Next Millionaire Next Door on the makeup of a millionaire and how physicians can get there. It's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever been a part of, and I really can't wait for you all to hear it. Have a great week. Cheers. Cheers.